on. Oh, great start to the morning. Man. Yeah, you missed out last week, but we hopefully won't have a repeat this week. It's funny, I heard later that the disco, disco lights were going during the second half of the entire sermon. Thankfully, he guarded me from it. I had no idea. If you're here for the first time, we don't have that happen every Sunday, but we're glad you're here, and uh, we're glad that you made the, the, um, the effort to join us this morning. We hope that you feel welcome. If you see folks around you with name tags, they are likely in some sort of uh, deacon or pastor or um, some sort of greeter-type role. And if you have any questions, please reach out to those. You can ask mostly anybody, unless you're asking another visitor. They may not know either. But uh, if you have any questions, please reach out and ask somebody that has a name tag on. I want to uh, begin with prayer this morning. We're going to pray for another local church. We do that when we gather corporately, uh, when we remember. So let's lift up FBC and Greenville. Lord, we are thankful for the time that we're about to spend together. I'm thankful for the time we've spent in song, singing true things about you back to you, uh, reminding one another as we sing of your greatness and your goodness and what you've won for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that um, in these next few minutes that we'll be equipped, uh, that, the, the, that we'll be faithful to walk in what we're equipped uh, to walk in, Lord. And I, um, Also, this, Lord, uh, this morning, Lord, we want to pray for another church in our community. I want to pray for FBC Greenville. Lord, I just want to lift them up, considering um, the journey that they've been through in trying to find a pastor and the pastor that they've found, Lord, and just how challenging that must be for a church to go through that process. Lord, we want to pray for just a um, God-glorifying health. Um, Lord, I pray, too, there would be a health that's attributed to you and to you alone. Lord, I pray for uh, Pastor Roy Youngblood, Youngblood, and I pray for his uh, journey there. I pray for his family, Lord. I pray that you are blessing he and his family as they serve there. Lord, I pray for his marriage, that you are guarding it from um, all that can happen to a marriage, just in general. Uh, and then also the, the rigors of uh, ministry marriage, Lord, that you would guard their marriage, that in fact that that Roy would have his first and his best for his wife and his family, and that, Lord, that you would bless that so much so that when he stands to deliver on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, wherever he may be teaching or preaching or shepherding or pastoring, Lord, that there would be an overflow in that. I pray that you would be glorified in that. We pray for a health at FBC Greenville uh, that will result in good problems like seating issues and parking issues. Lord, we are thankful to call them brothers and sisters in Christ and to call them our neighbors and to share a sweet work with them here in Greenville. Uh, Lord, we're entrusting them to you this morning and trusting ourselves to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was asking some questions this morning of Aaron Gallion about the symphony. The first time that I can recall that we went to a, um, a symphony in Dallas, um, Erin gave us some tickets. She was singing with the choral section of the symphony at the Meyerson Symphony uh, Center, and she gave us tickets as a family. We'd been to the local um, orchestra, or excuse me, symphony here in town, and uh, if, if you've never been to that, it's a treat and one that you should take advantage of because they come from Dallas. I mean, it's the, the symphony uh, from Dallas. It's not a local uh, drummed-up version. It is, a, it is quite, a, quite a, an event. 
and uh, being here in Greenville, it might make it seem like it's it's unimpressive, but it's um, it's just the same thing they get over there. But I, you know, sometimes you have a joke or something like that that you think about after the fact that you like, man, I wish I would have said this. This would have been really funny. I've thought about this this week. How funny it would have been for our first symphony experience with Evan and Luke. Daniel wouldn't was he may have was Daniel with us? He may have may or may not have been figuring that he would be making a bunch of noise. How funny it would have been during the warm-up period. If you've ever been to the symphony, you know the warm-up period is just bizarre. You know, in contrast to what happens after the thing starts, it is a mess. It is an audible mess. I, I read one person described it as a cacophony. You've got a symphony later, but you've got a cacophony of sound beforehand where everybody's just kind of doing their own thing and they're making all kind of crazy noises out of their instruments, and you're thinking, how in the world? And how funny it would have been to turn to Evan or Luke and say, man, this, these guys are terrible. We should leave. This is horrible. How can these guys, how could people pay money to come hear these guys? But, you know, it's one of those things after the fact that it's not so funny now, but it would have been really funny then. But I thought about what happens over the course of those few minutes where it goes from torture to wonder. You know, it goes from cacophony to symphony. Uh, there's uh, literal discord that in a matter of moments, something happens, something profound happens, and it becomes a beautiful harmony and a beautiful unity. I want you to keep that thought in mind because I'm going to come back to that later on in the morning as we come back to that image. But I'd like for you to turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, page 977 of your pew Bible. I know we don't have pews, but we call them that. They're in the seat back in front of you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can call that one yours. You can make that one your own. But if you didn't bring one, I encourage you to pull that Bible out and look at it. I was thinking this week, um, as you're turning there, I'm just thinking this week to share this with you. Um, my family and I are not provided for uh, so I can... Um, have a, a kind of a little talky talk on Sundays. I, we're provided for so that we can really, I can do the work of unpacking God's word and preparing to deliver some depth and insight. So um, I don't really have that many funny stories. Even the symphony story is not that funny. It's so far after the fact you can't even really get any mileage out of it. But I do have some goods to bring you from God's word this morning. So if you're not accustomed Maybe if this is your first visit or first of a few visits, if you're not accustomed to having the Bible open and to looking at the pages and the words, then let's start that this morning. Page 977 of your um, Bible there. If you don't have uh, a different, if you have a different version, that page won't work. So I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse 1. We're going to spend our morning in verses 7 and 8. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Paul, with the word therefore, points the Ephesian church back to the last three chapters worth of Ephesians. In so many words, it's saying, in light of what God has done for us in Christ, here then is how God's people should move. It's a nice transition and a nice therefore, and it'll help you read the book of Ephesians in a, in a whole new way. I, therefore, in light of the last three chapters... A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And now where he's about to go for the next 16 verses is to develop the idea of unity in the church. Unity. That's what we're in a series on unity 
right now. If you, many of you have church experiences and you're like, wow, unity, that's a great idea, but I've not really experienced a whole ton of that. Well, this is a great series that will help equip this church, I think, to walk in unity in a way that would be God-glorifying. I urge you in a, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And where we're going to spend our morning is in these next two verses. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Uh, I remember going on a vacation trip with uh, the family, with a few other families. We went to the beach and one of the families did the most bizarre thing I've ever seen before. The first thing they did when they moved into their room in this beach house is they took their, their, their suitcases out and they took all their clothes out and they put them in the drawers of the chest of drawers. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. I mean, I don't know if some of y'all might do that every time you go to a hotel. How weird is that? I mean, I, for my whole life, I lived out of the suitcase during the entire vacation and really, for the most part, wore the same clothes every day because I couldn't find anything in there. <laughs> but this family, I couldn't believe it. It was, it was so amazing that they did that. It was the Adele's. It was pretty funny. Uh, they're, they're not even... Here they are. Yeah. Erin, she came out. Oh, we've just been putting, putting our clothes in away in our drawers. What? Well, that's what we're going to do with this passage in the next few minutes. We're going to take the clothes out of the bags... And we're going to put them in the drawers so that we'll know where to find them over the rest of the morning. Okay? A little imagery a little, uh, that has um, a lot of effort put into that imagery. Really just to tell you that we're going to unpack these two verses. Okay. With a few words. Now this, I'll tell you too, this is probably the driest portion of the morning. This is probably a little bit of teaching. Okay? So you have to really be real intentional about listening and looking at the words and gathering up those clothes so you know where you put them. So you'll be able to find them later. Okay? All right. We're going to start with the word but. Okay? The word but in this passage, but grace was given to each one of us, points back to the previous six verses. The word but ties the first six verses with the next passages that go all the way through verse 16. But it does more than just tie them together. It tells us that there's a contrast. There's a contrast between the first six verses and the rest of the passage leading through verse 16. In the previous verse, let me help you with the contrast. In the previous verse, you may notice that there's the word all that's used a number of times. All, all, all. And one, this emphasis on one, that makes a lot of sense when we're talking about unity. All unity and oneness all fit together. But now this word but tells us there's a shift in thought and there's a word that's introduced that seems out of place in a conversation about unity. And it's the word each. There's an emphasis in this passage where he's been going talking about all and the one to now talking about each, each one of us. It says grace was given to each one of us. 
grace. It's such a great Christian word. It's a word I hope you hear often here. I hope that in your Christian journey that you've heard it often. It's usually used in the sense of saving grace. If you're singing the song Amazing Grace, you're singing about grace in the sense of salvific saving grace. Saving grace, how great the sound. Okay, that, That's a very familiar concept for grace. That's not how Paul is using the word here. Okay, This is an important little point in the morning. It's going to kind of invite you into what I think is going to be a real treat for you. The way he is using the word grace in this passage instead of saving grace would be more in the sense of serving grace. Instead of saving grace... We're talking this morning, contextually, serving grace. The word means unmerited and undeserved favor, okay? But it denotes enablement. Just think about that for a minute. The word means unmerited and undeserved favor, but it denotes enablement, maybe even empowerment. Think about that in regards to the word Grace. If only time you've ever heard the word is in a saving sense, saving grace, that denote that denotation there, that emphasis on enablement and empowerment might seem foreign to you. And that's why he's building out some depth here to the word grace that's going to really take us on a sweet journey this morning. It denotes enablement and empowerment. The Greek word is charis. And it, it's actually the root word for charismatic or charisma or charismata, which would be um, the Greek word for grace gifts. Charismatic churches oftentimes focus on the gifts given by the Holy Spirit and oftentimes some particular sign gifts. That's where that word comes from. Charis is grace. But it's focusing here on grace as a gift. In this context, grace is a particular enablement given to each of you, each of us, for ministry. I'm going to say that again because I want you to get that. Grace, in this context, is a particular enablement, an empowerment even, given to each for ministry. Now, the next phrase will help us sort of bring out or round out the rest of verse 7. According to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ has a portion through his perfect and sovereign will, has apportioned according to his will and his plans, who gets what kind and what amount of grace gift. It's his business. He gives it to each of us, but he does it according to his will and his plan. Now that alone, if I, we were to stop the sermon right there, it would be a really brief sermon, and some of you would be really excited. But if we were to stop the sermon right there, that should be enough to make you feel like you've been given something special. Okay? Hopefully you can think about that for a minute. That Jesus gave each of us, according to his will, something special. And something more, hear this, more than just salvation. Okay? More than just salvation. Here, enablement and empowerment. Now, verse 8 of this passage is the real key to making sense of the depth 
of this truth. If we were to leave it right there, you would leave with something that might be kind of feeling kind of nifty. Huh, that's kind of cool. Jesus has given something that's just particular to each of us. That's pretty nifty. That's pretty awesome. Well, I want to show you how amazing it is now. Verse 8 shows us how amazing it is, where hopefully it'll leave you feeling like, okay, now that I, I heard it before in verse 7, and it was nifty, but I hear it now and feel it in verse 8, and I can't wait to walk in it. Okay, so let's look at verse 8. Verse 8, turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter, or Psalm, specifically Psalm 68. I'll give you a page number for that for those of you that have a um, pew Bible. Page 481. Psalm 68 is the clue to unpacking the depth of what's being said here. Okay? This psalm, Psalm 68, is a psalm about the victory of God over his enemies. Okay? Now, here's what's kind of cool about this psalm for you. It's not cool for me. It's made for quite a challenging week. This is reckoned, this psalm is reckoned as textually and exegetically the most difficult and obscure of all the psalms. Isn't that, isn't that great? That's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah, great. You mean we're going to plow off into this? Yes, we're going to plow off into this. And I think we're going to make some sense of it. It's not going to be really challenging. I'm going to read some excerpts from Psalm 68. And I want you to just take in sort of the tone of Psalm 68. Listen to what is actually accomplished, who it's accomplished by, some things that take place there, and then all the while kind of think about how could that be connected to something that Christ has given each one of us. Okay? Listen to Psalm 68, some excerpts. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts, before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, he's talking some Exodus imagery now, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. Rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoil. Now, drop down to verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. This is our Ephesians reference. And receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. 
Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belong deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies. Look down at verse 24. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in the front, the musicians last. Between them, virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are of Israel's fountain. Look down at verse 28. Summon your power, O God. The power, O God, by which you have worked for us because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings shall bear gifts to you. And drop down to the last few verses. Verse 32. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty power. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. What a wonderful psalm. This psalm is a great example that would have had, of a psalm that would have had tremendous meaning at the time that it was written. Wonderful meaning. Enjoying God through the Exodus, the God that delivered them from Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt. The God who came down at Sinai and Sinai quaked. This God who defeated Israel's foes. It would have had wonderful meaning then. But Paul's reference to this passage, his pointing back to Psalm 68, is more than just a mere reference. He is taking us back to Psalm 68 and showing us and telling us that the fullness of this psalm came into its meaning through Christ and his victory. That in some ways it was shadow then compared to the substance that it is in Christ's victory over his captives and our captives. It came into the fullness of meaning through Christ's victory over our enemies of sin, Satan, and death. Literally the passage reads here in Ephesians which is just a treat. You should really enjoy this. He held captive. He took captive captivity. That's what it means in the original language. He took captive captivity, almost like the whole notion of the thing. He defeated it by defeating sin, Satan, and death. Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. That's what Christ accomplished, and that is the fullness of this psalm and its meaning. Now, here's where things get a little bit unusual and a little bit challenging. For those of you who are really paying attention, you may have noticed that Psalm 68, in verse 18, in the Psalm 68 itself, reads, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men. I wonder if any of you noticed the difference between that and the passage I read this morning. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Some, of you, some folks would be like, oh, see, there you go. There's a mistake in God's word. There's a mistake in the Bible there. And you might be wondering, what gives? What in the world is going on here? Did Paul make a mistake? 
Did Paul forget how it, would, how it read back there in Psalm 68? Did he just have a bad day and misspeak or specifically miswrite? Was Paul quoting something else that just sounded like this passage? Or was Paul taking liberties with Psalm 68? I want to show you just in the next few minutes briefly that I believe it's the last option. He's taking liberties, I believe, with this passage. And it's a real treat if you pay attention in these next few minutes. There's something called Midrash Pesher, an ancient Hebrew use, an Hebrew um, interpretative use where they would take, um, they, they built a commentary that adapted wording of biblical text for its application in the current situation. Okay, it's modifying Old Testament, in this case, an Old Testament passage, a psalm, in a way that's not disobedient to the intent of the passage, but in a way that fits the point. It's called Midrash Pesher. I thought of it sort of like adapting and modifying the words of a song to a situation that just needs music. Maybe a familiar song where somebody might tweak those words to bring out the impact. So you might ask the question at this point, we are talking about a song. Paul, why did you change the lyrics? Is this just an academic venture that we're going off into right here? Or is there something to this? I think there's something to this. Why, Paul, would you clearly change the the lyrics to mean the opposite of what was said over there in Psalm 68? Well, here's the first possibility. First of two. The entire psalm is about God giving gifts to his people. I hope you were paying attention as I read it very slowly and I emphasized some specific things as we moved through it. That he is father to the fatherless. That he cares for the widows. He's a protector of the widow. He settles the homeless. He frees the prisoners. He gives rain. He gives a place to dwell. He provides for the needy. He gives the word. He turns over the spoils of victory. He bears up his people. These are passages taken right out of Psalm 68. He gives salvation. He delivers from death. He gives power and he gives strength. Remember those last couple of verses in Psalm 68. It's a psalm about God giving his people good things. So a summary of the psalm in one reworded verse is fitting. It's not disobedient to the intent of the entire psalm. In fact, it's fitting. He gives gifts to men. He gave gobs of them to men in Psalm 68. Here's where I lean to the second possibility. It's one that just sounds like our Savior. It seems as if he's calling attention to the fact that this victor does the unthinkable. See, victors in those days, the victor of a battle, someone who won a battle, king or a general, would march into town and tribute would be paid to them by the defeated. Tribute would be paid to them by the kings that they defeated. Though there's no tribute taking place here, at least in the emphasis here. Instead of demanding tribute from those he's vanquished, he's giving the spoils of his victory to his people. Instead of taking, he seems to be giving. It would fit with a victor who washes feet and rides a donkey's colt, don't you think? It would fit with a victor that comes to serve and with one who wins a battle through what appears to be a lost battle. Here's the reality. Whatever the reason Paul quoted 
this passage differently, he, in fact, modified it. We can make no mistake. He modified this passage. So what can we know for sure? We can know this, that he counted Christ as the victor. He counted Christ as the fullest meaning of this Psalm 68, as the victor defeating sin, Satan, and death, and putting them to open shame. And the spoils of that victory are the enabling, empowering grace gifts given to each one of us. Christie's uh, granddad passed away before we were dating, before uh, he was, I never knew him. Her grandmother had gotten remarried by the time that we began dating, and I don't know what his name was. Everybody called him Doc. He was a veterinarian. He lived in uh, Laurel, Montana, and we went up there to visit a number of times, and I, I got to know Doc a little bit. He was like a, a, a banny rooster, just his way, the way he walked, the way he carried himself, He's about five feet tall, but he seemed like a giant, just the way he moved and handled himself. And the guy was just so amazing and so interesting. He, I'm not sure if someone actually taught him to fly a helicopter or if he just bought a helicopter and taught himself to fly the thing, but he actually made his veterinary calls with his helicopter. I think the guy, if there was just a call across town, he would probably mount up in his helicopter and fly over across town just so he could fly his helicopter. This guy was really an interesting guy. He served in World War II. He's, he's passed away at this point, but uh, before he passed away, he, he showed me something that were the spoils of war for him. When he was in Germany, he told me a few of the stories of what, what his service was like and experience in Germany. But he showed me this, and I cannot recall if it was a Luger or a Mauser, pistol, this cool old pistol that actually came in this big uh, leather case because the reason it was a big leather case is because you could pull out this other little piece that attached to the pistol grip to make it like a little rifle. This thing was so cool. And what made it cool, even cooler than just old pistol cool for the guys in the room, we know old pistols are cool just by nature being old pistols, but what made it even more cooler than that was knowing that it was spoils of war. Knowing that this was in some ways a victor who's bringing home something. Now when when he passed away, I was hoping and praying that the the, uh, admiration that I showed for this pistol that he might give to Christie's new husband, but... He gave it to his family, alas, his immediate family. Man, there's a big difference between an old pistol and the spoils of war. And what I want you to appreciate that brings out for us and what what is brought out in verse 8 is that the gifts that have been given to each of us is not just nifty information. The gifts that have been given to each one of us are the spoils of war. Man, that makes it cool, doesn't it? It's way beyond nifty. It's something cool. I want to go shoot that Mauser or that Luger pistol. I want to enjoy that. So I'm just going to spend a couple minutes helping us, I think, connect to some implications here. We've done the hard work of pulling the clothing out. They're in the drawers now. Let's, let's wear some, some of these, these uh, beach clothes that we've unpacked. We have this. We know this so far, and I want to keep this right in front of us. Christ is the victor. That's what Paul's telling us. He is the ultimate victor defeating sin, Satan, and death. And he's given the spoils of that victory to each one of us. Now, 
Here's the first thing, first of three things. I believe, I emphasized this last week at the beginning of our morning, that we are a diverse people. If you were here last week, the, the beginning, the introduction of the sermon, a substantial port, portion of the introduction was spent enjoying just how diverse we are. But this develops that even further, because I wouldn't even talk in gifting. This develops it even further to take us in the direction that each of us has a measure and a kind of grace gift, an enabling gift that's particular and distinct and unique even. It's like a grace fingerprint that each of us carry, that Christ won for us. And that these fingerprints, these grace gifts come together in a symphony for us. A symphony that reflects God's character as three persons of the Godhead are distinct and serving in different roles, but yet move together in a way that's often so blurry you can't distinguish the three. The early church had a word for this. It was called perichoresis. It's a Greek word that, that means the dance of God. That the three persons of the Trinity were so in union, yet so distinct and moving together, that it was this beautiful blur. Man, think about that for a minute. As we move together with these distinct gifts that are given to each of us, moving in our different roles, but moving in union together, moving in harmony together, that there's a beautiful blur. Man, I hope that gives you some enjoyment as you think, God has given me something Something that's special, that's unique for me, that I can go walk in. It should make you feel special about God giving you a fingerprint, a grace fingerprint. But it also, also should make you feel like some, you have some value for the others that are sitting beside you and in front of you and behind you. That God's given them something too that you need. Man, it adds a whole new meaning. The spoils, we have a room full of spoils of war right here. I thought what would be fitting in light of contrasting last week would be just to spend a moment to just share at least my view of the symphony, what I'm hearing in the symphony right now, some snapshots of some folks walking in the spoils of war. Pretty much every Sunday, I can expect a hug and a welcoming smile from one lady who's a wife, a mother, and a grandmother, and this happens nearly every time I see her. Her husband is like an E.F. Hutton kind of guy. When he speaks on the select occasions that he does speak, there's going to be a wisdom and a depth that make him worth listening to. There's a brother and a friend here in this body who is great at giving me a hug when I don't think I need it, and it turns out I did. It happened this morning, right before I walked up to preach. There's a sister in this body with a remarkable gift of organization who is relentless and faithful in connecting dots that are so often missed. There are two wives that are also mothers who tirelessly and creatively and faithfully lead our people in ministry to our children. There's a couple in our body with what I would call a truly God-glorifying, enabling, empowering, measure, grace gift of hospitality. They make anyone from a visitor to a longtime member feel like a treasured guest. 
There's a father and an elementary school age son who greet together at this church, serving side by side in their gifting. There's a sister in this body who uses her gifts of counseling to come alongside whoever might need an ear, a word of encouragement, or some wisdom to navigate life. And she does so humbly and carefully and thoughtfully. There are a number of wives this could describe in this body, but I'm thinking of three wives in particular. Snuck up on me. Who quietly share the heavy burdens that their husbands carry and who do it with dignity and grace. There's a couple in this body. This is a welcome one next. There's a couple in this body that are always available to bring some fun to a setting with some well-planned games. They have the gift of games. I don't know how it, it happens. There's some brothers in this body who are constantly thinking through ways to improve our listening and visual experience at our corporate gatherings and sisters. There's a team of men and women that are constantly working and bringing meaning and depth and heart to our worship and song. There's a sister in our church that holds a position of authority in our community that would give her every reason in the world to not spend time with little bitty children. But man, she stoops often and eagerly and willingly to minister to the smallest and the youngest among us. There's a brother in this body that pretty much since our beginnings has used a gift of administration that he didn't know he had to enable, to empower, and free up others to walk in their gifting. There's a young brother that I had the opportunity to watch the last few weeks with the gift of teaching, and specifically the gift of what I would call a unique gift of teaching, the ability to teach young people. This is just my recent occasion. This is my recent listening. Man, I bet you've got some. If you've been around here any period of time, you've got a song you can share. You've got a piece of music that you can share where diverse gifts come together and make a beautiful sound. You know what's cool, too, about life in the body is the song will be different next week and just as beautiful. That's the first thing. The second thing, and this is where I'm just going to spend the, most of the remainder of our time. Turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to keep in front of us that Christ is the victor. He defeated sin, Satan, and death. And he has given the spoils of that victory to us. And that that diverse gifting builds unity. Remember, we've been talking about, and we're in the context of unity. Okay. Page 948, for those of you that have been waiting for the page of your pew Bible. This next point, and the second of third, the third will take about 10 seconds, but I want you to really focus on this one. The exercise of gifts builds unity. 
The exercise of gifts builds unity. You would think that diversity would foster disunity. But in the church, the diversity of gifts actually fosters unity. And the flip side of that is the neglect of gifts. Think about this for a minute. The neglect of gifts fosters disunity. Brad Cardwell was telling me just the other night that he's got an elbow problem. For years, Brad has had these elbow, this elbow issue, that almost like a tennis elbow thing. It's just gotten so bad that he's likely or possibly going to have to have it surgically tended to at the uh, Cooper Clinic. And, um, man, Brad can attest to this, and I bet there's so many of us in, in here that can attest to this. When you have one little part of your body that's aching, it makes your entire body sort of disunified. It, it sort of knocks you off kilter. An uncooperative foot makes for a troubled body. And I'm thinking about other occasions that we've had among us. Jerry broke his hand recently, had a bike wreck and broke his hand. And just that pain that comes from one little bone in your hand can totally leave you um, disabled. Gary Carroll has had issues with his feet before. Man, no fun. No fun. It can leave your entire body sort of out of commission. Mia's leg, how long did we watch Mia uh, hop around here with her, her leg in a cast and the entire family having to tend to Mia? Man, we can, we can relate to this. When, when some part of the body is neglected or is neglecting their gifting, they are effectively a bad elbow. And they bring disunity to the body. Listen to this passage. Actually, I want to share a quote with you before I read this passage from John Calvin. He said, No member of the body in Christ is endowed with such provision as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. In other words, God has made us all dependent and needy on one another's gifts. Listen to this passage in Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, notice the word grace there, the grace, he's speaking, gifting, the uh, enabling gifts. For by the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now think, think about that phrase. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And now connect it to the context where he's talking about gifting. Okay, listen to what he says next. Don't think more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us... Use them. Man, just let that ring in your ears. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Man, what I want you to see here, what is developed contextually about this often referred to phrase, passage about not thinking too highly of yourself, is really, in essence, 
thinking independently, thinking as if you don't need the gifts that are surrounding you, and thinking also that nobody else needs your gifting. That's thinking higher of yourself than you ought to. When you neglect your gifts and when you aren't hungry for everybody else's gifts, you are thinking independently and higher than you ought to think. Connect that phrase to the context. By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't think independently and don't think as a free agent. He gave gifts to each one of us, but those gifts are for one another. We need each other's gifts. It's connected back to the symphony. The role of the lead violin, I don't know what he or she's called, but the, we'll call that main first chair, maybe the first chair violin. Good, I got a head nod there, good. Is, is dependent on the guy standing at the back with the timpani and that bell that he rings one time during the whole piece. Think about that for a minute. That first chair violin is also dependent on those violins that are to its left or her left and her right and front and back. And it's also dependent on those cellos who are across from them. And it's also dependent on that brass section that's off to the left. They are all dependent on one another. And working together, they present a wonderful unity that brings glory to the piece of music and glory to the symphony. Now, I asked the question before, what's the difference between the discord and the unity or the cacophony and the symphony? The difference is the maestro, and in our case, we know who that is. It's the Holy Spirit that's given to the church. The sheet of music, we have one sheet. It's right here. And then we have an attentiveness to one another and a dependence on one another that brings glory when it all comes together and there's a beautiful sound made. But when people in the body are not using their gifts but only absorbing the blessings of others' gifts, you've got to know that's a discouragement for those who are serving. That brings disunity. Man, hear me say that. There's no spiritual gifting of just sitting and soaking. That's not a spiritual gift. Of just breathing, of just showing up, that's not a spiritual gift. You've been giving, given something, the spoils of war, that was hard won, and when you exercise it, man, you bless other people. And when you don't, it brings discord and disunity. But when you walk in your gifting, however great or small it may seem, it might be first chair violin, it might be that guy ringing that bell in the back one time. Something awesome happens when everyone is doing their part. It is not a gift to be on the terminal end of everybody exercising everybody else's gifts. I'm going to offer one caveat before I move to my third thought. Our oldest member at cross point is 85 he's not here today because likely they're home because he's usually ailing they're, he's 85 and they're sick he's going to start cancer treatment here pretty soon his name is John Springgob for those of you who don't know him he usually sits right back there where Dan is sitting Okay, so this is a sharing a prayer request too you can pray for John and Patty because they're both sick and struggling a couple weeks ago John came in with his membership renewal card I was kind of hurried. 
John can talk. I mean, he tells some stories. He's got 85 years of life. He's got lots of stories to tell. And I didn't have a whole lot of time for many stories. And Aaron texted me. I was coming, rushing back to the church building. I had a few minutes there. I needed to study. And I was kind of pressed for time. She said, John, Spring God is here to talk to you, and he only wants to talk to you. And I was like, oh, no, I just I don't have a lot of time right now. I said, she said, you need to talk to him. It was a good read. I sat down with John. He had his membership card. He had it filled out. He started sobbing. And he's trying to pass it to me, but then he's pulling it back, and he's, he's doing like this, and I'm like, do I reach for it? Do I not? And as he's sobbing through his tears, he has cancer. He's going under, under treatment for his jaw. He didn't sob about his jaw or cancer. Here's what he sobbed about. He said for years, for decades, he came to the Lord late in life. He said since he's come to the Lord late in life, he's served. He served everywhere he's ever been. And what broke his heart right now is he couldn't serve you. That's why he almost didn't want a member. He said, I'm not sure I can be a member here because I can't serve anybody. Man, I said, John, you've been blessing people for decades. Let this church bless you now. You're in a season to be on the receiving end. Everybody is spongy at times. I had another conversation with somebody this week that their family is just in that stage of life. They just need to be sponges for a little bit. But let it be a season. You were made to serve. It was hard won. It's the spoils of war. So walk in it. The last point is brief. If you just treasure the thought this morning. If you're like, man, I really, after verse 7, I was like, ah, that's nifty. After verse 8, I'm like, ah, that's awesome. And you're like, man, I really want to do that. But I really don't know how or where to begin. I want to encourage you with this thought. So many of the people that I just listed for you as sort of part of my music that I've been listening to these last few months stumbled into their gifting. And here's how they stumbled into it with these three words. Okay, I'm in. Y'all think y'all can say that? Let's try it together. Okay, I'm in. On three. One, two, three. Okay, I'm in. It's not hard. It's not hard when somebody says, hey, man, I need somebody to do this. Okay, I'm in. It's so cool. And you might think, well, what if, I, what if I make a fool of myself? Let me just encourage you. Just get over yourself. I make a fool of myself all the time. You just get used to it. And you just realize, okay, it's not a big deal. I survived. I didn't lose my job. <laughs> I lived in a, the sun came up the next morning. Man, don't let fear keep you from saying, yeah, I'll do that. And don't let, no, well, I'm not sure that's my gifting. Trial and error. Step out and say yes to some stuff and see what happens. And then what, what I promise you is you'll find a place where you start serving, where there's an outcome. As you put your hand at something, there's an outcome that's bigger than you. And now you've found your grace gifts. Now you've found your grace gift. And it might be that little bell in the back. But it's just as important as first chair. So walk in it. Man, just learn to say those three words. Okay, I'm in. The serving gifts were hard won. And they're designed to enable and to empower and build up the body. So walk in them. Let me pray.
God, I'm so thankful for this beautiful passage that shows us the, the importance of what you've given us in Christ's work and in the spoils of war. God, I'm so thankful that these gifts that you've given each of us come together and they make a beautiful sound, not for our glory, not for our sake, but for your glory and your sake. God, I pray that you would encourage some folks today. Maybe folks that might feel discouraged as they're walking in their gifting, they'll learn to treasure that what has been given to us was expensive. And those who may not be serving, Lord, I pray that they'll be encouraged to step out in that frightening place and just say they're in. And God, I pray that in that, that your kingdom will be advanced and your name will be famous through this frail, feeble, but available people. Oh, we love you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to distribute the elements in a minute, but I want to just share this thought with you. Um, psalm 68 was to believed to have been by some to be a Pentecost psalm. We read big chunks of Psalm 68. You know the tone of it, the sound of it. It's a victory psalm. It's about God giving gifts to his people. And it was believed to, by some to have been a psalm that was celebrated at the Jewish feast commemorating the gift of the law in Pentecost. There are actually some, some copies of this psalm where some um, student at some point did a version of what I told you about earlier, the Midrash Pesher. And replaced some of the people in the psalm, like with Moses. Or replaced Moses as the victor. So that Moses is the one who ascends Sinai, leading a host of captives. And then comes down Sinai and gives the gift of the law and the word to men. It's kind of cool to think about that. A little Midrash Pesher exercise there. But what's really cool about connecting this psalm to Pentecost is it connects to those gifts and spoils that are given to us. A new and better Moses climbed a different mountain called Golgotha. A new and better Moses named Jesus won the victory on Golgotha, leading hosts to captives a host of captives. And then he gave grace gifts to men at Pentecost, the first of which was the Holy Spirit himself given to the church. And then he gave each of us our serving and our helping and our portion of gifting. I want us, as we distribute the elements here in these next few minutes, as we consider that Jewish feast, to have a little feast of our own as we enjoy the gifts given to these men and women and, yes, children, children that are believing in Christ. Man, we have a room full of spoils. So let's enjoy a feast together. Let's distribute the elements.